My name's Luke. I'm a former student from St. Kevin's and I graduated in 2016. St. Kevin's is many things to many people. Primarily, it's one of the most successful private schools in Australia, in Turak, one of the wealthiest suburbs in Melbourne. It's where a lot of boys would say they have some of their best memories from their childhood. Also a Catholic school. And of course, it is uh, a boys' school. So it's a school built around a very specific tradition of boys' education. As you can see in that chant, absolutely has some very ugly sides. I think the chant shows the chauvinistic and misogynistic attitudes that undercut and underlie a lot of the ways in which this community is shaped and this community operates. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Today, we're talking to Luke Macaronis, a former St Kevin's student. He wrote for the Saturday paper about the way toxic masculinity defines elite private schools and other powerful institutions and stops them from addressing issues of abuse. He also featured in the Four Corners report on the culture at his old school. Yeah, this report is really, really confronting and very upsetting, I think, for a lot of people. For many boys, I think it came as a bit of a surprise because the school community is so tight and so close-knit. So I think the biggest reaction was one of shock and also one of grief because this report aired a lot of dirty laundry that kind of sparked a conversation that we haven't been having for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And Luke, this Four Corners report, can you talk me through what it actually exposed? It centred around a case of grooming at the school in around 2013-2014 by an athletics coach. Tonight on Four Corners, what's going on inside the elite boys' school, St Kevin's College? We investigate how a desire to protect reputation at all costs is causing a toxic culture. And the report was actually about how the school handled the prosecution and the fallout after the coach was convicted of grooming. I had a Japanese oral presentation that I needed to finish. Um, And he said, that's not the only oral you'll have to do. What did you think when he said that? Um, Yeah, very, felt very uncomfortable. Yeah, but I felt like I was in a position where I couldn't do anything. And the boy Paris Street was really, really unfairly treated by the school in in quite a few different ways. Like his concerns were initially brushed off by the school. The school seemed to take steps to protect the accused abuser, like the principal writing a character reference for him in court. How did you feel about that? Yeah, gutted and just like flicked off, like, this is how we think about you, we don't care, like we, uh, yeah. 
So the report has kind of thrown up all these really, really big questions about in a kind of post-Royal Commission world, how are our schools actually responding to the need and the new calls to reinforce child safety? And is it actually happening? And I think the report was really concerning because it kind of showed up that while maybe things are being done differently, they're not actually being done better and they're not still not actually protecting the people at the core of this problem, which are children and students. So the principal at St Kevin's wrote a character reference for a teacher who had groomed a student. What happened after that was made public? So obviously there was huge outrage and a lot of shock from the community. The headmaster seemed to dig his heels in a bit, but eventually took the fall and stepped down. The headmaster of St Kevin's College, Stephen Russell, admits he regrets writing a character reference for a colleague convicted of sexually grooming a student. But following that, the deputy headmaster who had stepped into that role as acting head has also had to step down because of allegations about her responses to this problem as well. Court documents show Deputy Headmaster Janet Canney is accused of trying to prevent the school's counsellor from reporting allegations about a teacher to child protection authorities. And since then, several other staff members have stepped down or have been removed from the school pending investigations into their behaviour. Parents are demanding answers after more teachers were sacked in the wake of the St Kevin's child grooming scandal. So this report has been really important to opening up a much, much bigger can of worms about all kinds of cases. I know a lot of parents and a lot of old members of the community are stepping forward with concerns they previously didn't think were worthy to voice and are talking about it now. So it seems like a lot of these issues were fairly well known within the school community. In your experience, what kind of a response did people get when they raised concerns at St Kevin's? Yeah, look, I don't know if it's necessarily true that this stuff was really, really well known. A lot of boys certainly were in the dark about a lot of this stuff. And I think if people did know, a lot of it hinged on kind of rumour or gossip. And I think The reason for that is because the school was so good at controlling a narrative and controlling the way that people acted and people understood things. So I know a lot of staff who definitely had concerns and definitely tried to work to protect boys. And a lot of the time, their complaints were brushed off. And in many, many cases, if they were trying to raise concerns about members of the leadership team, they didn't feel safe to do that because they would be complaining to the people about themselves. I think for a lot of boys, it's not necessarily that they wanted to speak and they weren't listened to. I think it's more that the way that private boys' education operates is very militaristic, it's very strict, and it doesn't really trust boys to speak up and it doesn't really invite boys to articulate their own experiences. It's very focused on hard work and being successful and being a good, like a strong man. And I remember being at the school and boys saying to me they felt uncomfortable about a teacher's actions or trying to explain that they were unsure of a situation, but that's kind of where the conversation would end. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. 
It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read the Saturday paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper. The whole story. Luke, you were a student at St Kevin's and you've written a piece in the Saturday paper that criticises the way in which toxic masculinity operates at the school and also in other institutions. Can you tell me what it is exactly that you're critiquing here? I've been speaking for quite a while now about why locker room culture and toxic masculinity is so dangerous for these kinds of places. And I think this is actually a really, really good example Because, of course, it's important to recognise that bullying happens and kind of competitiveness happens and locker room culture happens at all kinds of schools. But it's only at elite private boys' schools that that is used as a brand, that is used as something that schools want to promote because it gives them a difference. It gives them a chance to sell this very particular experience. And that's not all bad, right? That's, That's a lot of what makes the school so successful. But I think the problem is that a lot of the time, that's a really, really narrow image of what it means to be a man that doesn't allow for things that fall outside of the tough and the buff. I'm a gay kid at a Catholic school. I have a bit of an experience where my identity didn't fit that image. And that just meant like I could never fit in at that school. And it was really hard to be heard by the boys. It was really hard to be recognised. I think a lot of kids' lives are shaped by conformity. If you don't fit in, then often you're pushed until you do fit in or you get out. The problem maybe at places that are dominated by men is that that image that you have to conform to is is really, really narrow. You have to be like a strong, tall, straight guy. There's no room in that image for any difference. So the reason this is connected to like systems of abuse is because part of that masculine image, right, is one of silence. Like you suck it up, like boys don't cry. And that becomes a really, really big problem when those people are shaping our like institutions. Often they're the wealthiest and the most powerful people. And they're going to be making the calls about a lot of things. And this image has no space for vulnerability. It has no space for failure. It doesn't even really have a language yet. Like There aren't words built into our language to begin to talk about our vulnerability as men. So without that, it's really difficult to make space for difference and and make space for difficult things and to make space for failure, right? Because in this case particularly, there's a really huge incident of institutional failure And I think that there's a really clear connection between the way that men are told to be men and the kind of institutions that we see and how they think their responses are appropriate to crisis. So, Luke, do you see any of this changing? 
My response should be yes. It should be really, really positive. And of course, it's true. This stuff is absolutely changing. I, I don't think a story like this would have got so much traction even 10, 20 years ago. So this is a really, really big step, absolutely in the right direction. But I'm skeptical because there's a really long way to go. And, and I think particularly in this context where something really bad's happened and we've crucified the people that needed to be crucified that, that failed in this situation, but that's not actually solved the problem. That's not actually going to fix what's wrong. We need to have a much bigger conversation about our culture and the way that we perpetuate masculine culture, this patriarchal system, and begin to move away from those, not, not, not that entire image. There is such a thing as positive masculinity. I see it modelled by all kinds of people in my life. I see it modelled by my family. I see it modelled by my friends. But there has to be a shift away from behaviours that are violent, that are elitist, and that are prejudiced. And that's a very long path ahead. Luke, thanks so much for talking to me today. Not at all. Thanks so much. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news, details about a war crimes inquiry investigating whether Australian special forces in Afghanistan killed civilians unlawfully have been exposed in Parliament for the first time. The investigation is being conducted by the Inspector General of the Australian Defence Force. The inquiry is examining 55 separate incidents of alleged breaches of the rules of war in Afghanistan between 2005 and 2016. 336 people have given evidence to the probe so far. And Norwegian oil giant Equinor has abandoned its $200 million deepwater drilling project in the Great Australian Bight Marine Park. Equinor is now the third major company to scrap plans to drill for oil off the coast of South Australia. The company said it had concluded that its exploration drilling plan was not commercially competitive. The decision's been welcomed by environment groups. The Federal Minister for Resources, Keith Pitt, said the government was disappointed by Equinor's decision and the government remained committed to encouraging the safe development of Australia's offshore petroleum resources. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.